0: Always get on to John for being late doing that, and then there I go doing it again. (laughs) doing it myself. Well, good morning. Uh, Like you mentioned, my name's Jeremy. I'm the youth pastor here. It's always uh, such a privilege to be able to uh, share God's word uh, with my church family and everyone that's here this morning. Uh, I do want to mention real quickly, if you don't already, because there's still people that don't, because I run into them all the time. If you don't have the church app, uh, I would highly encourage you to download that. There's the the link there on the screen. If you want to download that, especially if you've got your phone out already. Uh, like most of us do, or phone in your pocket, like most of us do, uh, you can follow along uh, very well with that, and it has all the all the notes and all the scriptures in it as well. Some uh, some extra stuff that sometimes we don't uh, have have able are not able to get up onto the screen. And then also, if you're uh, watching online, thank you for doing that. We got some people that are uh, always following with us uh, on our live stream, especially during the summer months as folks are out, which is why uh, Mitch was here last Sunday preaching, and because John was out, and now Mitch is out, and I'm here, and we're just rotating all over the place, and so it's always a good, uh, a good chance to get some, uh, get some uh, time up here on the stage, but I pray that you uh, join me as we, uh, as we pray. Father, we do thank you again just for your word. For the time that we have uh, just carved out in our lives, Father, this time that we can uh, come together and to lift up your name as one church body, as one church family, God. And we just thank you so much for that privilege uh, that we have as we've uh, last week celebrated our freedoms, uh, Father. There is so much uh, blessing that we have uh, here, but God, we know that true freedom and true blessing is only found in you uh, through your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Uh, We'll be in Philippians chapter 2, starting in in verse 19. Uh, But as we're kind of diving into this passage, uh, I don't know about you, but it feels like uh, hopefully in your life you have found what I would call your people, right? It's people that may not be family-related, but people that are close enough to you that they are considered family. And we've been uh, so blessed here at Grace Church. We've been here for a little over nine years now, and to be able to find our people, and if you haven't found your people, then definitely uh, jump into a K group because that was uh, very instrumental in us being able to find our people. Uh, and these folks are are ladies and gentlemen and families that I know. If the world, if my world came crashing down today, these are people that would be standing next to me immediately after that happened. These are people that would answer the call, that would be able to do the things uh, that we couldn't do. And so today, as we're looking in this passage, uh, it's probably not the most familiar passage that you've, ever, that you've ever read. If you've read through the book of Philippians uh, at any given point, you've definitely read this passage. Uh, but I'm really just thankful today that we are uh, going through the book of Philippians uh, verse by verse. Uh, Because as I was reading this passage, I said to myself, this is not a passage that anyone would ever choose to really write a a standalone sermon about. It's not really a passage that's uh, famous for any particular reason. But it's an important passage, but it requires a little bit more digging than just a a read or two reads or even three or four. And so I'm really thankful because it is something that made me dig uh, really deep into Scripture and really deep into God's Word to see God why is this passage in here why are these people uh, that Paul mentions so important that they have been immortalized essentially uh, in your word and so as we dig into this passage we have to uh, go a little bit past the surface and so sometimes when you're when you're dealing with a passage like this it's good to if you if there are words usually I like to do kind of like word studies when I'm reading reading through scripture to find out okay what does this word mean and maybe what was there uh, contextually about this word. Uh, This passage we're doing just looking at characters because there are people's names mentioned uh, in this passage. And so it was great to figure out, okay, God, why were these people mentioned and what was their significance both at the time to Paul and today for us to to learn from and and to understand our father even more. So let's dive into Philippians chapter two. I'm starting in verse 19. Paul Says this, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. And so Paul's writing this letter to the church at Philippi, and he's been giving them these amazing spiritual truths. But he also has the heart of a pastor, and he wants to make sure that they know that he is thinking of them, and he is praying for them, and he is concerned for their spiritual well-being, and so he tells them in these passages, "Hey, by the way, I'm going to send Timothy back with uh, back with Epaphroditus that we'll meet here in a second. I'm going to send them back, and Timothy is uh, Paul's most trusted uh, representative. And so, as we're looking in this passage, I said. Okay, well, if we're going to, if Paul's uh, thinking that Timothy is important enough, and we know from other places in Scripture, we have Paul wrote letters specifically to Timothy, and they were open letters. They were meant to be read in the General Assembly, but they were specifically addressed to Timothy, we have in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. And Timothy's mentioned in other places all throughout the New Testament. And so, if I'm going to understand why Paul is talking about Timothy in this passage, I have to go back and look for other places in scripture where he's mentioned to try to figure out, okay, what was he all about? And just so I have my obligatory uh, Marvel MCU reference, that's kind of how you have to do things a little bit. You know, the Bible is a collection of books. And so if a character is mentioned here or a person is mentioned here, sometimes you got to go back and look at some other source material. So there you go. There's my uh, MCU Reference that I seem to always <laughs> always be working into this, but let's just dive in a little bit to what who is Timothy? And so, just to give you a brief kind of biography of Timothy, he was uh, he's raised mostly by his grandmother Eunice and his mother Lois. And there's not much mention of Timothy's father other than the fact that we know that he was, uh, that he was a Roman citizen. And we know that his mother uh, was, of, was of Jewish heritage. And so Timothy's kind of in this uh, a little bit of a culturally and religiously blended family. So we do know that. And we know from other places in Scripture that Paul mentions how Timothy was taught God's Word as he was growing up. And so what we know from that is that we know his grandmother and his mother did a really great job of making sure Timothy knew the Old Testament, because that's all they had at the time, so that he, they were teaching him and discipling him through the Old Testament, And so we also know that uh, most likely when Paul came to uh, Lystra on his first missionary journey, there was a, a number of people who converted to Christianity. Most likely Lois and Eunice were part of that and possibly even Timothy. And so we know from all of this that he was converted to Christianity along with his mother and grandmother. And so what happened there is Paul's preaching in addition to his parents and his families discipling him in the Old Testament led Timothy straight to Jesus Christ. Why? Because when Paul came and preached, and a lot of times when he was preaching uh, to a a Jewish audience, what would he do? He would go through the Old Testament and show them where the Old Testament, everything in the Old Testament, is pointing towards the Messiah who he says is Jesus Christ. And so, because Timothy had this great background and this great foundation, when Paul shows up talking about Messiah and proving it through the Old Testament, Timothy was all in. He is all in, and Paul recognizes this and sees how vital Timothy could be to his ministry. And so Paul then begins this mentoring relationship with Timothy and discipling him personally and bringing him along with these missionary journeys, as we're going to see here in a minute. So Timothy, uh, both at this point in Philippians... And then for the rest of Timothy's uh, ministry, for the rest of Paul's life, really, he becomes Paul's most trusted helper. He is the representative that Paul, uh, that Paul sends whenever he needs to check on a church or wants to be at a church but could not be because we know Paul's in chains here in, here in, as he's writing the, the letter to the church in Philippi. And then eventually Timothy becomes the pastor of the church in Ephesus. And so we can see Timothy's progression here. And so uh, I, I would be uh, amiss to not take this opportunity to kind of detour a little bit and talk specifically to parents who are very near and dear to my heart, not because uh, just because I am one, but because of the focus that we see here, is that Timothy was taught the word regularly at home. He was taught by his grandmother, by his mother. He was taught God's word at home so that when he was confronted with the gospel, He immediately recognized it. He immediately responded to it. And when we talk about family discipleship, and you hear that a lot here at Grace, and I'm thankful for it, but when you hear that, we talk about filling your home with the presence of Jesus and having spiritual conversations and teaching the Bible. It's all for this purpose right here. It's so that when the moment of understanding arrives, our kids are ready to answer the call to salvation and repentance and continue that sanctification into the rest of their lives, right? Because let's be honest, like we want our kids to be good kids, we want our kids to grow up and be successful, we want them to be well liked in the community, and all of these things, but those are all secondary things to helping our children know and follow Christ in their home, in their city and in their world, right? And so that's exactly what happens to Timothy. He is a uh, a great example of what it looks like. In our digital parenting class that we did uh, a few weeks back, probably a few months back now that I'm thinking about it cuz summer seems to be uh, forever, but I kind of talked about it in terms of this is parenting is essentially like taking a pair of dice and being allowed to load the dice in your favor. To load the dice not just in your favor, but mostly to load the dice in God's favor. And so as I'm discipling my children, I'm kind of loading that dice to where when I roll that dice, when I send them out into the world, there's at least a better chance that it's going to land in God's favor that there's a better chance that they're going to know the things of God, they're going to understand the things of God, and they're going to apply the things of God, right? Because I know, I know for myself, and you probably know this too, I've watched children grow up in the most uh, wonderful Christian homes that spoke truth into their lives day in and day out, and those parents roll the dice, and the child, because of their free will, because they they now have decisions that they make on their own, completely rejects God. And you look at that and you go, wait a minute, those parents did everything right. And the same is true of the reverse. I've watched children grow up in a home that was completely devoid of all things related to Jesus, of all things related to religion, almost even hostile towards those things. And they roll the dice, and their children hear the gospel and respond and become these like amazing followers of Jesus Christ. And you go, wait a minute, they didn't do anything right. But it's, a, it's the roll of the dice, right? Because of God's given us free will, it's still a roll of the dice. But parents, listen to me. This is where you and the church come into play, that God says, hey, I'm going I'm to give you guys the responsibility of discipling these children. Church, I'm going to give you the opportunities to disciple these kids and so that when that moment comes where they have to decide for themselves, is this Jesus thing for real? Is this really the way that I'm supposed to live my life? Is God real? Is salvation real? If all these questions that I have, if where can I go to seek out the answers? And we roll that dice and they land in God's favor and we can see evidence of that in our own kids' lives, in the life of Timothy here. And so parents, understand that this is not a responsibility that I as a youth pastor or Mitch as a children's pastor or John as a pastor or Roy as a It is not a responsibility that we take lightly. And you'll, yeah, you can know for certain, I can speak specifically of our ministry here on Wednesday nights that we call Refuge. The reason it's called Refuge is because we wanted a place for teenagers to come and to know that they can be loved and know that Christ loves them and have this little bit of a carve out space that they can ask questions and they can wrestle with these things and they can express doubts and they can uh, express fears and frustrations and all of the things that come with not just being a person, but with being a teenager growing up in the culture that we live in. So let me assure you, do we have a good time on Wednesday nights? Absolutely. I love having fun. I love playing games. I love doing all those things. But look, all of that stuff is secondary to the word of God being taught and being preached and being portrayed in the lives of every single adult that we put in that place over there. So we're not just playing games. Why? Because there's an eternity at stake here. And it's not something that we take lightly. It's something that we plan for. It's something that we talk about. It's something that we strategize. You know why? Because the world is strategizing. And they're planning. And they're pursuing our kids more feverishly than we've ever seen in our lifetimes. Or, and will continue to do so. And so parents, as the church and as parents... We have to be vigilant of continuously pouring God's word and pouring God's heart into the hearts and minds of our kids. So Timothy's family set this foundation, and Paul's preaching and his discipleship, he built on that foundation but it's important to understand, and, and, and Paul doesn't recognize it here in this passage, but as we see the overall picture of Timothy's life especially, we see that the Holy Spirit was the architect of the whole thing. The Holy Spirit is the overarching principle here because only, only he can bring about conviction, only he can bring about salvation through Christ. And so we get a little bit of, of Timothy. Let's look in verse 22. Verse 22, he, keeps, he continues on talking about Timothy. He says, But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I can see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. And so, he's, like I said, he's given them some logistics. This isn't all just you know, theological instruction here. And he's saying, I'm hoping to send Timothy, and then uh, once I know how much longer I'm going to be in this prison, and as was mentioned before in the previous weeks, Paul was pretty hopeful at this point that this was not going to be the end for him, even though he was prepared for that, if that was what God willed. But he says, you know what, I'm hoping that uh, my case is going to get settled pretty soon, but I'm going to go ahead and send uh, and send Timothy in, ahead of me, and hopefully, uh, by the grace of God, I'll be able to join you as well. But I want to back up in verse 22 because he uses this, uh, this little phrase here about Timothy. He says, you know, Timothy's proven worth. And it's just it kind of jumped out of the page uh, at me. And it says that Timothy had been mentored by Paul personally and most likely due to the upbringing that he had, so Paul didn't have to start from square one with Timothy and teach him like all of the Old Testament and disciple him and the law and the Proverbs and the Psalms and all these things. He had this solid foundation, and I think that's part of what drew Paul to Timothy, was like, hey, this this kid's already got this foundation that was laid for him by his family, uh, so now I can disciple him in what it means to follow Christ, and he can become extremely valuable and also, because he's the father of a Roman citizen, that makes him a Roman citizen. And so there's some access and there's some privilege uh, that also comes along with that with Timothy. And so he became extremely uh, valuable to Paul. But here, the reason why Timothy, he says, has proven worth is because Timothy was given opportunities to prove his worth, he was given opportunities to prove his worth. Paul didn't just sit him, on, sit him down and say, hey, uh, hey kid, like, sit over here and watch me. And then Paul goes about his entire ministry. There was some of that for sure. And I'm sure that Timothy uh, would be one of the ones that was, would sit in the back of every one of Paul's gatherings and when he was teaching, and, Paul, and Timothy would just soak it in like a sponge because now he has this whole new understanding of this Old Testament that he's learned his entire life, and is now being illuminated because of the gospel, but at a certain point, Timothy had to go out. And so here we see, that we see this happening. Paul's going, okay, Timothy's here with me now, but I'm going to send him, because obviously I can't go right now, chained to a Roman guard, but I'm going to go ahead and send Timothy as my representative. In other places, he tells them to receive Timothy as if you were receiving me, that whatever he says, that's, consider it like it's for me. And so he sends Timothy into these uh, situations as his representative. But what we can also see from this is that Paul understood that discipleship was a very long process. It's a long process, <laughs> and parents, you, you're, you're in it, right? <laughs> and you've seen it. I've been in uh, I've been uh, in student ministry now for I think close to seventeen years, and you can see like there are kids that I've that started in our youth ministry seventeen years ago that I'm like just now starting to see them really giving their lives to Christ and really uh, raising their families in, in order to do so that was that would just absolutely blow my mind because I'm going like that was just a snot-nosed little middle school punk that was running around <laughs> my youth room and that I was constantly yelling at and now he's leading worship or now they're, they have this beautiful family that he is raising in church and raising in the admonition of, uh, of God and it's just amazing to watch that but discipleship it's just a long process. It's not something that happens overnight. It's one of the reasons why uh, Mr. Chip mentioned about our mission trip to Texas. And uh, hopefully you'll get to hear some stories from, uh, directly from the kids about that trip. Uh, but one of the things that astounded me the most was, uh, of course, the service projects that we did and the people that we interacted with. Uh, but one of the things that astounded me the most was the conversations, that we had, because I don't know if you realize, we left Bainbridge uh, in a van and the world's tiniest car uh, that we could rent that had good gas mileage, and we had an 18-plus-hour ride. So eventually, even the podcasts and the, the music and the YouTube and everything runs out at that point. And so what happened? There were conversations, those were conversations that ranged from every everything, from hey, is the book of Genesis symbolic or is it literal? Or hey, what do you think about dating and marriage and how does this stuff happen? Or hey, how do you know whether or not you're in God's will? Or how do you know? How did you know, uh, Mr. Jeremy, when you were being called into ministry? Every one of those conversations happened on that trip. What? Why? Because we actually carved out some space and we carved out some time in order to have these conversations. And that wasn't the intention, of course, but that is the culmination of small groups every Wednesday at Refuge. That's the culmination of sitting in a church service like this and hearing God's word preached verse by verse and having questions about that that come come up in the course of conversations it's a long process, but what are we doing? We're, we're strategically moving. What is the next step that this person needs to take? What is the next level of understanding that they're capable of handling so that we can challenge them and push them towards that? And it is absolutely incredible to hear the kind of conversations that happen when we realize that discipleship is a long process that we have to take seriously. And I love this, this quote that you'll see up here on the screen by an author named John Acuff. And he says, if you want to teach, a great, uh, want to teach gratefulness or you want a grateful 16-year-old, teach a six-year-old gratitude and give them 10 years to practice. So if you want a grateful 16-year-old, which if you have uh, any year old, you're going, wow, that would be great, a grateful 16-year-old. That would be like having a unicorn living at your house, right? No, but he says, if you want that, then you teach it to them at an early age, and then you practice it. And the context of this quote, by the way, was him writing, writing an article about how he's writing thank you notes to people in his life to show gratitude, even though he absolutely hates writing thank you notes. Why? Because he wants to see his children be grateful. He wants to see gratitude built in them. And so what does he do? He provides them with an example. Because it's one thing to teach. And the thing about teaching is, is that teaching only takes a short amount of time. For me to give you information and for you to understand that information and for us to even have discussion about that information so it's kind of locked in and you really have a firm grasp of the information, I mean, you can do that in like two months, three months. I mean, you can do that in a pretty short amount of time, right? Yet we still come into this place week in and week out and hear God's word taught to us, and it's probably stuff that you've read before, and you're going, I've already learned this. Yeah, but are you practicing these things? And we have this uh, relationship with God where God, over and over in Scripture, he doesn't necessarily give us new information all throughout Scripture. What does he do? He gave us information, and then he continuously reminds us of the information that we've already gotten. Why? Why? We're forgetful. We completely forget. I could completely, I could completely forget gratitude. You know how I know this is because I understood between somewhere in Lake Charles, uh, around Lake Charles, Louisiana, and I'm riding in Mr. Tiny Car that has absolutely no shocks. And by the time we get to Houston, I am uh, absolutely motion sick, car sick. I feel like absolute, uh, yeah. I feel awful. <laughs> I feel awful, and I'm the leader. <laughs> like, I'm the guy that everybody's asking questions to. And I'm like, guys, I am, I, I got to, like, it's 2 a.m., let's just go to bed. And I wake up the next morning, I'm still feeling awful. And you know what? I completely forgot what it meant to have gratitude. That's how easy that is. I completely forgot to, to even once say, you know what, guys, I know I'm not feeling great, but God's going to do something wonderful I mean, we got there eventually, but it hurts to say, confess, I was just, I felt awful and I felt sorry for myself. And I was a little bit mad because I'm like, we've been talking about this trip and building building up excitement and we've been raising all this money and and God has provided absolutely everything that we need for this trip to be successful. And here I am, sidelined, and I'm taking two Dramamine and just like, you know, I'm drooling and there's video, of course. But I got to admit, I needed, I needed somebody to remind me. Of the goodness of God. And you know what happened? Uh very quickly, what happened was as I'm feeling sorry for myself, uh, the youth pastor from another group that we were there, uh, introduces himself to me, and we immediately switched into, well, let's just talk like shop and biographies and backgrounds and things like that. And he's asking me about our ministry, and I just start going on about, well, God just provided this and God's blessed us here. And this has just been incredible to see uh just how much uh God has been leading us up to this trip and all these things and I'm so excited about it and I walked away from that conversation and guess what? Completely different attitude. Completely different mindset. Completely different uh, um, uh, renewed energy because I was reminded of the goodness and the greatness of God. So it's a spiritual practice that we have to continuously remind ourselves of the things that we've learned. Learning takes a short amount of time Practice takes a lifetime. So let's move on to verse 25 here and look uh, very quickly at Epaphroditus. And i got to admit, there's not nearly as much about Epaphroditus as there is about Timothy. Uh, but this guy, uh, pretty incredible as we, as we dig into him. But at verse 25, follow along with me. He says, I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. for the work of Christ risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. And so Paul just goes on and on about Epaphroditus and he does he gives them some information and some updates cuz news did not travel very quickly at this point in time. And so some point we don't know when but at some point along the from the long journey from Philippi to where Paul is is Epaphroditus was got sick. And not just a little bit sick, but very sick. Paul says he was even to the point of death, and they were very concerned uh, about whether or not he was going to make it, but God had mercy on him. So Paul, in this letter, he wants to send back to them. He wants to make sure that they know that Epaphroditus is okay, and Epaphroditus is very concerned that the church back home somehow learned that that he was ill and then don't know the outcome. And so he's concerned because we, we kind of get uh, this idea that Epaphroditus is most likely a leader uh, at the church in Philippi and cared for the people in the church of Philippi very much. And so Paul's giving some, some updates on here. But look at verse 25 again, where he says, uh, he calls Epaphroditus by three titles. He gives him three different titles. He s- says, he's my brother, that he's my fellow worker and fellow soldier, and this is interesting because Paul is using words here that he doesn't normally use. So he tells him that this is my brother in Christ. And that's pretty common for Paul to refer to someone like that. They have a common heritage uh, in Christ. But he tells him that Epaphroditus is also his fellow worker which means that they have a common task, that they've kind of linked arms together and they're on this mission to, uh, to spread the gospel, in, whether that be in Philippi or whether that be with Paul's ministry uh, all over the area. But then he uses this word, uh, fellow soldier. He says he's a fellow soldier. And that kind of gives you the idea that he and Paul had a common enemy. That they, they had not just been having a common task, but a common enemy to combat this false teaching that Paul is constantly trying to, uh, trying to combat. But also this disunity that has happened in, in, in the church in Philippi that we're going to see Paul mention uh, in, a, in a chapter. But he uses this word fellow soldier. And it's only used twice in the entirety of the New Testament. It's used here and used in Philemon uh, chapter uh, 1. So it's not something that Paul used very often, but if you, like I said, if you dig a little bit deeper below the surface and remember uh, some of the context of Philippians, the, the colony of their city of Philippi was mostly a Roman, uh, Roman, was veterans of the Roman army that had kind of settled into that area after they, after they retired. So this was something that they would have been pretty familiar with. And it's very possible that Epaphroditus himself could have been one of these retired soldiers that retired uh, to, the, uh, to F- uh, Philippi. And we also know from, from history that a lot of the Praetorian guards, the guards that Paul was literally chained to at the time, a lot of the Praetorian guards uh, retired to the colony of Philippi, so much so that there are actually coins minted that honor the Praetorian guards that were found in the, in the ruins of Philippi. And so you have this this little bit of a snapshot here where you can kind of connect some dots that Paul's referring to Epaphroditus, of course, not as a literal soldier, but as somebody who's probably not to be messed with. (laughs) Obviously, if he was, if he was being sent from Philippi to Paul, then that was a long journey. He He was coming with a large sum of money, and he would take other people with him, of course, but there was a lot of protection that he needed. And obviously, they thought he was up to the task. The guy gets sick on the way there or shortly after getting there, and he toughs it out. And Paul even says, uh, says uh, in that last part that he risks his, his life for the sake of the gospel. He said he risked his life for the sake of, of the gospel. That means to me that at some point, somebody had a conversation with Epaphroditus and said, hey, buddy, you're sick, <laughs> And and uh, wives, if you're married to that man, just know like he gets it honest. Uh, that hey, you're sick. Maybe this is not the best time for you to continue traveling. And he said, No, this is important. Paul needs this gift. Paul needs this encouragement. And I'm going to finish the mission that was set before me. And so he can he carries on. And he it says that he risks his life and this is this is where a little bit of my nerdy word study did did come in but keep uh, follow along with me here because the word there that he used for risking his life is actually Paul making up a word. He, like, Dr. Seuss this thing and just, like, I can't think of a word, so I'm just going to make one up. And it's actually a word that's a little bit of a play on Epaphroditus' name because his name comes from the, uh, uh, Aphrodite, the, one of the goddesses there. And one of the things that would happen if you were gambling, if you were literally throwing dice in a, in a game of chance, that they would invoke the name of Epaphroditus to have favor on them as they rolled the dice. And so what does Paul do? He kind of takes this gambling term, pulls that, pulls that out, and takes Epaphroditus' name, pulls that out, and kind of smooshes them together to make this new word to help them understand that, look, Epaphroditus was literally rolling the dice with his own life, and God showed favor to him. Not some made-up God, but the one true God showed favor to Epaphroditus, and he showed mercy to him, and mercy to Paul as well, because now Paul doesn't have to live with the grief of knowing that, hey, if I hadn't have been in this prison, then Epaphroditus wouldn't have to come, and then he wouldn't have gotten sick, and he wouldn't have passed away, and it would just be this grief upon grief for Paul, because he's a human. He experiences all of these things just as we would. But Paul says that, no, he had his life was spared. God gave him mercy, and gave Paul mercy and he's spared, by sparing him. Uh, another quick historical thing that happened because of this is there's a group of third-century Christians. They called themselves the Paraboloni, which was a play also on the word that Paul uses here for Epaphroditus. And these third-century Christians, they would risk their lives going into these plague-infested cities in order to bury the dead or to take care of the sick. And they were inspired by, the, by this guy that would literally risk his life in order, uh, in order to spread the gospel. And so when all of these sicknesses started happening, they just said, you know what? Let's just be Epaphroditus. Let's just do it. Let's, risk the, let's roll the dice. And if God has favor on us, then he has favor on us. And so they would go into these places, these very dangerous places, and minister to people and minister to the families and the sick that were there. And uh, as we were in Texas, I was able to meet some, uh, meet some workers there because uh, most of the people that we interacted with, that were act- the people that we were helping, that we were giving food to or giving some kind of assistance to, they spoke Spanish, and I do not. And so it was very difficult <laughs> to interact and to talk with them and to get their stories, which I really wish I could have done. Uh, but I did get to meet uh, this guy that you'll see here. His name is Dave. Uh, I don't. Even, uh, uh, oh, Hitchcock. That's his last name because we uh, uh, connected on Facebook before uh, before he left. But just to tell you very quickly, this is uh, this is what Dave does. He travels from where we were, which was in Hidalgo, Texas. Uh, the mission that we were working with. They do food distribution weekly uh, in Hidalgo, and he will take some of the food that's just uh, distributed there and load up his car. Uh, which I wish I had a picture. Of the car as well, because it's not uh, anything that you would uh, want to be driving anywhere in, much less going back and forth uh, from South Texas. And he actually drives into uh, Mexico to a little town called Reynosa. And he goes there and he drops off food and supplies. And he literally just ministers to the people that are there uh, the families, the children. Uh, There's some uh, folks that had gotten sick that he was making sure had proper medical supplies. And so this, this was a guy, and I got to sit, and I actually got to talk with Dave, and he, actually, uh, he has a friend that I didn't get a picture of uh, named Fred, who's uh, a former uh, retired U.S. Coast Guard. And these guys are well into their 70s. I didn't ask them, but they have to be well into their 70s, possibly even their 80s. And they're going, and they're serving people, and they're ministering to people, and they're uh, making sure that these people understand the, the love of Jesus Christ, and I tell you this to bring us to the, the so what. Uh, I, I kind of deviate from the head, heart, hands thing a little bit towards the end. And so I just ask the question, well, so what? Why all this stuff that we've read here in this passage, what does it have to do with us in the here and now? And the first question there is, do you have a Timothy. Is there somebody in your life that you would say, you know, what, I'm going to pour my, my life into them. If, this, if there's uh, a, young, uh, a young girl, ladies, that you see that you just say, you know what, I wonder if anybody is just like pouring their life in their heart and helping them as they go through life together. And so is there a Timothy in your life, someone that you disciple and you train? Is there someone that you need to train in order for them to one day they can have their proven worth shown in some way? And if you're having a hard time coming up with someone like this, then please come talk to me because I can introduce you to some people uh, that I know would love to have someone speaking into their life on a regular basis. And we have a lot of that happening, thankfully, uh, but we still need uh, some more people that would be willing to do that. And then the, the last question there is, will you be an Epaphroditus? Would you be an Epaphroditus, somebody that is willing to risk Everything. Willing to, willing to set aside their comfort and their way of life. And similar to the way David has, has done, Dave could easily be retired and on a beach somewhere or living in the mountains and just kind of resting and relaxing and enjoying the fruits of his labor and all the things that you would expect somebody of his age to do. But he said, no, there's, as soon as I saw these people in need... He, said, he tells me, because I asked him, like, how did you get started in all this? Like, what, what was the tipping point for you? He said, I was just walking down the train tracks here that, that kind of go along the border, and I'm asking God, God, what, what is it that I should do about this problem that I'm seeing, where these people that are living with absolutely nothing? What should I do? And he said, God didn't really tell me what I should do. He said, what can you do? What are you capable of doing? He said, well, that changed the whole conversation. <laughs> he said, I was cap- I'm capable of doing this. What God's doing right now, what I'm doing, taking this food and supplies and ministering to the people that are just literally five miles from where we were uh, distributing food on the other side of the border. He said, I can do this, and I'm going to continue doing this as long as God gives me breath and gives me the ability to. And it was just such an inspiration that he gave of what it looks like to be an epaphroditus, to risk everything for the sake of the gospel and serving others. And it's really easy to say that we would lay down our life for the sake of Christ, right? That I would die for my faith. But it's much more difficult to say, "Yeah, I'll lead that middle school small group," or "I'll I'll show up and serve on a and serve on a Saturday," or even "I'll figure let's figure out how we can help the homeless in our community." Like, those are much harder statements to make, but that's what we're called to do. Not so much necessarily, if you're already a Christian, if you've chosen to follow Christ, guess what? You've already been called to glorify Christ in everything that you do. Like, we can stop asking ourselves, God, what have you called me to do? And start asking ourselves, God, what can I do? Really, just open my eyes to what's already there. Not necessarily help me make up some reason to go and help somebody. The reason's already there. It's already been given to us in our calling. So I'll end there with, with this statement. It's not a matter of what we should be doing. It's a matter of what can we be doing. And so I, I hope that you wrestle with it. I'm wrestling with it right now. It's not a matter of what we should be doing, but it's a matter of what can we be doing. Because we have a great God who has called us to a great task. And it is up to us to fulfill that both in our homes, but also in our city and the rest of this world. As we minister to those around us, as we spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we do uh, just, again, thank you. Just for... Uh, your word, God, you, the way that these two individuals that we've looked at, Timothy and Epaphroditus, Father, that uh, regardless of the fact that they're not perfect people and they made mistakes and they, uh, they needed your grace and your mercy and your salvation, uh, God, just as much as us. Uh, but Father, you chose to have them portrayed in your, in your holy word so that they could provide us with an example, so they could provide us with a, a, an idea of what it looks like to do what you've called us to do, what you've already called us to do, Father. And I pray uh, that we would wrestle with these things and we would uh, ask questions and seek your, your face and your character, God, so that we can show your love and your grace and your mercy to those around us. It's in Christ's name we pray.